When I was a kid, my uh, dad worked at the post office, and uh, he was one of these guys that he was always dabbling with something. You know, he always had different kinds of projects that he, he was working with, and like we owned a mom and pop grocery store when when I was a young kid, and uh, I got the opportunity to manage about ten foot of one aisle, and and what that meant was. I could do whatever I wanted with that 10 foot. And uh, I also was a, had the candy counter. And uh, so that, that 10 foot of aisle, basically, if the aisle made money, I made money. But if the aisle lost money, then I lost money. My dad expected me to absorb it. And uh, I remember thinking, right out of the gate, it was like, okay, what do I want to put on them shelves? And uh, I decided hot sauce. Hot sauce was going to be huge. I mean, it was going to be big. And so we, we went uh, to the um, place where we'd get our stock, and I bought 20 different cases of hot sauce. And uh, I never sold one bottle. <laughs> That's true. Not one bottle. I went to my dad. I said, Dad, I can't sell it. And he looked at me as he did often, and he said, Son, you bought it, you got to figure out how to get rid of it. And so I came up with a plan. I started buying my own hot sauce. And I was eating it for breakfast and dinner, and I was putting it on anything I could think of. This is no, no kidding. And I wasn't the brightest kid sometimes, and so... About a month into this, I realized I'm not even making a dent in the hot sauce and that it's going to take forever. So then I started thinking. I thought, you know what? The candy counter is a huge hit. I couldn't keep it stocked. So I'm thinking, I sell a lot of candy. I'm not selling hot sauce. So what do I do? I started a big promotion. Buy three candy items, get one hot sauce free. Now, the uh, promotion wasn't so hot, but I did get rid of all the hot sauce, and uh, we never went down that road again. Um, But working in the grocery store, I learned a lot about business. Uh, I had to laugh a few years ago. I'm, I'm walking in a mall, and I walk in this store. It's all hot sauce. And, and I thought, okay, I was just ahead of my time, you know. It was like, uh, just I had to laugh and I had to think about uh, that. Another thing my dad did was he would dabble in buying properties and we would remodel them. And I learned a lot about construction through, through that time. In fact, uh, when I first started, seriously, I was just like clueless. I mean, way clueless. I hardly knew the difference between a hammer and a saw. And uh, my dad, he would uh, put together lists of items that we needed from the hardware store or the lumberyard, and he would drive us there, and then he'd send us in to get it all. And I remember one of the first times he had me go in to get supplies, I went in and uh, walked up to the guy at the counter. We were wanting some lumber, and I said, I need some four-by-twos. And the guy goes, "Um, you mean two-by-fours, right? I said, I don't know, let me check. So I out to the car, I go, I said, Dad, you know, he's saying two-by-fours instead of four-by-twos. And he says, yes, son, go get them. And uh, so I walk back in, and I'm like, uh, we need 15 two-by-fours. You're right. He goes, how long do you need them? And I'm like, a long time. You know, we're putting them in a house. And uh, 
<laughs> I can tell you story after story of just my, my personal stupidity. Uh, I know you find that hard to believe, but anyway, it was... Um, I learned a lot through those years about building and, and rebuilding. And my, my dad, he always amazed me how he could walk in these dilapidated, run-down homes, and he would walk in and go, this house has possibilities, you know. You know, knock out this wall, open things up a little bit, let's put a few windows in, re-insulate, rewire, put in new cabinets and carpet. And he, he would always go, this is going to be a great house. It's going to be huge. It's going to be great. But I discovered something very quickly, that reconstruction is more difficult than construction. Do you know why? Because you always start with a mess. You always start with a mess. And I believe a lot of us here today are involved in a construction project of one kind or another. Some of you are in the process, you're young, and and you're trying to construct your life. Some of us that are older, we're trying to reconstruct our, our lives. And the Bible says that when we become a Christian, that with that, there's a new creation, that the old is gone and the, the new is to come, and that it's a process of reconstruction. And it's a long, long road. The fact is, that's why this church exists, is... We are in the business of rebuilding lives, rebuilding families, helping people rebuild their their careers. And we're about helping people build a foundation, not only for this life, but for eternity. And I believe we're in the business of helping people live louder in their lives. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about a builder. Uh, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And we're, we're going to look at a construction project he was part of. And I believe we're going to discover that Nehemiah possessed some essential qualities that every one of us need in our life. That we're going to discover some commitments that we all need in order to navigate this life. I mean, if we want to rebuild our lives... If we want to get involved in the business of helping others rebuild their lives, if we want to live louder in our lives, we need these things. You know, Nehemiah, the book starts out with Nehemiah's living in Persia. And one of his brothers comes to visit. And apparently they hadn't seen each other in a long time. But his brother had been to Jerusalem. And this is the capital of the Jewish religion. And he brings news to his brother, that the city's been destroyed. And the news is kind of a, a, a KO punch. You know, it knocks Nehemiah out because Jerusalem, it was his hometown. Nehemiah 1, it starts out, they replied, his brothers talking, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His brother brings him this awful news. And it's not just about 
that there are buildings that need to be rebuilt. It's not just about there are walls or gates that need to be rebuilt. Did did you catch it? He says, people are in great trouble and shame. The first thing Nehemiah does is when he finds out about the situation, you catch it? He goes, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned. I fasted. I prayed. I mean, why did he do that? Why didn't he just go do something about it? You know, I believe a good builder understands the commitment to discovering God's plan. If you're going to rebuild your life, you've got to understand and get on with God's plan. Nehemiah wanted to know, what's God want me to do? He didn't want to get ahead of God. He didn't want to rush off to Jerusalem and start something that God wasn't in. So he discovered God's plan for rebuilding. And he prays, and he prays, and he prays. In fact, Scripture indicates that he prays and fasts for months. Now, it wasn't like one long, continuous prayer. He slept. You know, he probably went to work. Hopefully he took baths and things like that. But the fact is, he prayed. And he prayed a long time before he did anything. Nehemiah, he, his work was really, he was a cupbearer, which doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But the, the king of Persia at the time, what, he, what Nehemiah would do is he would sip and taste the food and make sure it hadn't been poisoned. That'd be a fun job, wouldn't it? Especially if the king wasn't liked. But he, w- he would check it out, make sure they hadn't slipped in a little arsenic or, or something. And basically, the cupbearer, may die, but long live the king. That was his job, and he did it day in and day out. He's been praying for months. God's starting to direct him toward a plan. He feels God calling him to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. So one day he is doing his job. He goes into the presence of the king, and he kind of holds his head down. Now, This is my bent on it. Scripture doesn't say this, but my bent is, I think he rehearsed it all. I think he he was in front of a mirror and he's going, okay, how can I look really sad? The king goes, what's wrong, Nehemiah? Well, didn't you ask? The walls of Jerusalem, my hometown, they're, they're broken down. King's like, what do you want me to do for you? Now, it is obvious when you read scripture that he had thought a long time about this, that he had thought hard, because he kind of answers in a rapid-fire machine gun style. He goes, well, let me think about what you could do. I want you to send me back there. I'll rebuild the wall. Now, I'm going to need some letters from the governor so I can give them to the governor so I have safe passage. And I'm going to need letters for the cabinets so that I can get my lumber and the stuff that I need. And, in fact, I just happen to have those letters. And if you could just put your signature and seal right here, I've got my e-tickets from Travelocity. My bags are packed, and I'm leaving tomorrow. I I love this scene because Nehemiah just puts it out there. I mean, he lays it out there, and the king says, I'll do whatever you need. Now, it's interesting that the king answers that way, 
it wasn't because the king was a nice guy. I mean, he might have been. But it wasn't because of that. And it wasn't even because he liked Nehemiah. Nehemiah tells us why the king granted his request. He says, and the king granted me what I asked for. For the gracious hand of my God was upon me. He says, God did it. He didn't get ahead of God. He discovered what God's plan was. And when he went to the king, God was already involved. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. Is, are you seeking to discover God's plan for your life? You know, are you praying the kind of prayer? Are you seeking the kind of direction so that you can begin to rebuild or to build your life? You know, where where God can put his hand in your life and change things. I mean, if you're going to rebuild, if you're going to build, if you're going to get involved in building other people's lives, if you're going to live louder in your life, you have to be connected to God. You have to get connected to to God's word. You have to spend time praying, communicating with, with God, just talking. I mean, I believe too many people miss out on living louder in their life because they never discover God's plan for their lives. So first you've got to commit to discovering God's plan. Then you've got to commit to action, to taking some action, to doing something. I mean, after Nehemiah, he discovers God's plan. He didn't just sit and go, well, looks like a good plan and not do anything. No, he immediately began to put things in place and he heads off to Jerusalem. And he's really got, as I look at his uh, action plan, so to speak, he had three things that, that he, put, he put in. One, he has this investigation stage. He gets to Jerusalem. He's only been there about three days now. He's laying in, in bed at night. And do you know how this goes? When your mind's racing? When you have this enormous task and you just can't get it out of your head? Nehemiah is tossing. He's turning. He's restless. He just can't sleep. And so finally, he gets up in the middle of the night and he gets on his horse and he travels around the wall of Jerusalem. He sees the rubble up close, the charred gates, the the rubbish, probably smelled. I mean, how do you think Nehemiah felt at that moment? You know, Scripture says that he wept that he mourned when he just heard about the destruction. And now he's looking at it firsthand. I, you know, I think he had to be just shaking his head. It had to be disturbing. You know, his heart was breaking. He remembered what it used to look like. I mean, you ever had that kind of experience in your life? You know, maybe uh, you stood in the yard of a good friend or family and their homes burned to the ground. You know, maybe in the recent floods, uh, you were in someone's home that, that you know and uh, it was flooded out. You know, had, had that kind of destruction and the devastation. How many of you have teenagers? Let me see hands. I'll pray for you. 
But how many, how many of you have ever been in their bedroom recently? That's, an, that's a different experience. But, uh, you know, Cindy and I uh, go to the Keys a lot. And uh, so Peace of My Heart is there. And um, I remember several years ago when we, we were down there and Hurricane Andrew had uh, basically leveled Homestead, Florida. And I remember looking across, and as far as you could see, it was just broken down buildings and huge piles of rubble. There were huge tents that people were living in. And seriously, it looked like a scene like out of War of the Worlds or something like that. It was, it was something that just rocks you. You know, there, there's something about that that it does to, to your heart and to your resolve as an individual when you actually walk and see the ruins. You think, I got to do something. I got to do something. I mean, have you ever evaluated and looked at the remains of your life? you know, investigated the, the condition of your heart and say, you know what, I have to do something about this. You know, I'll never forget, several years ago, I was with a group of men, and this one guy, he stood up in front of about 50 other men. And I remember him sharing his story, and he just said, you know, when my first child was born, and at the time, I think she was like a teenager, at the time, but he says, you know, when my first child was born, he says, I looked in her eyes and one thought overwhelmed me. And I remember him just breaking at this point as he said, I looked at her and I thought, I do not want her to grow up like me. That's honest evaluation. I mean, that's the kind of evaluation that moved him from who he was to a plan of action. It sent him on a path that eventually he gave his life to Christ and he got God in the correct priority in his life. I mean, have you ever been moved by the the rubble, by the bad condition of a situation in your life about something that you know for a long time that you need to work on? Have you ever been moved by the, the bad conditions in this country? You know, have you ever been rocked by a situation that you're watching some family go through? You know, if it, does that ever bother you? You know, do you lose sleep over the emptiness in people's lives, the lostness in people's lives? I know all kinds of Nehemiah-type leaders. We have them all over this church. You know, people that literally lose sleep over things, that they cry and they weep and they hurt for people that are lost, that are struggling in the world. You know, I know people who they, they lose sleep because they think about children that are being abused or women that are being abused or elderly that are not being taken care of properly and they can't get it out of their head. I know people that they, they, it just bothers them that there are marriages that are, that are struggling, that families are disintegrating. And it gets in their being to a point that they say, somebody has got to do something about this. And then they take it the step further. Maybe God, maybe God could use me. 
And I have watched people when that happens and they get involved in rebuilding lives. They get involved in support ministries. They decide they're going to help people that are struggling with alcohol or addictions or depression or divorce. They begin working with people that are grieving and hurting and they put themselves in the middle of whatever the situation is to just try and be helpful. You know, they start reaching out to elderly or teens or children or or whatever. You know, that's why this building was built, was because we understood that lives need to be rebuilt. It all starts with someone doing a little investigating. And then there's always kind of that inspiration stage. You know, Nehemiah. Nehemiah looked at the project of building the the wall, and he understood right away he couldn't do it himself. And so he gathers everybody together, and he says... Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates, they've been burned. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. I told them that the hand of God had been graciously upon me. And also the words of the king had spoken to me. And I'm going to stop there. But he says, you want to see What's going on here? And, and he really points, and this is the inspiration side, because he raises a, a key question right out of the gate. He says, do you see the trouble we're in? I mean, my guess is that they had been living in this rubble for so long that they just got used to it. They didn't really notice it. And Nehemiah, he takes them out so that they're in the midst of it, and he goes, take a look. Open your eyes. It's a mess. It's a disgrace. It does not bring honor to God. If we get involved in rebuilding these walls, that'll bring honor to God. If we do it with excellence, the people who are laughing at us, and there were a bunch of them, trust me, but if the people that are laughing at us, if we do something, they'll say, wow, They must really love God. Now, I'm going to say something that's my personal conviction, and that is anything done for God ought to be done with excellence. Because what we do reflects the character of God. You know, Nehemiah is saying, listen, if we are serious about this, God could be honored, God could be praised. We'll do something important and people will say they serve a great God if we can do this. You read the the text and you find out right away that Nehemiah told the people how God's hand was on him, how he had prayed for months, what the the king's heart was saying about this, and it motivated them. It motivated them when they recognized that God was in the midst of the, the project. People were motivated. They were inspired. And they went about doing the work. You know, God, I believe, is doing something supernatural here. You know, and the fact is, and I'll I'll be honest with you, there are times my, my personal faith gets a little shaky. You know, I get rocked once in a while. But when I think about the ministries of this church and the vision of this church, it just kind of overwhelms me 
You know, it just kind of gets in my face. And the fact is, it inspires me when I see God's hand in the midst of all of it, as I think back over our history. You know, Nehemiah kind of builders say, hey, God's in this. There, there are lives to be rebuilt. It's not us. It's God. It's not us. It's God. And it becomes apparent to me more and more as we move forward in faith that God's preparing to do something incredible here. I mean, I, I truly believe that the whole country, maybe the world, will take notice of what's happening in a little place called the River Bend area. You know why? Because God's in this church. You know, Nehemiah has this three-part three action plan, basically. He does his investigation, he does some inspiration, and then he has some cooperation. I mean, I love what the people say after being inspired. Nehemiah, he, he speaks, he lays it all out there, and then the people say, let's go start rebuilding. So they begin this work. Now, notice it doesn't say, oh, we're not going to do that. We've tried that before. You know, I kind of like things the way they are. No, they said, you know what? God's in it. Let's start rebuilding. Let's be a part of it. And they began to work. You know, I would encourage you, if you're a leader, if, if you're a, a supervisor or you head an organization up or whatever, I'd encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah. It is a textbook on leadership and delegation. But Nehemiah, he says, you know what? God's in the midst of it. Now, it didn't mean that things were going to be easy. It didn't mean that he wasn't going to have critics or enemies. It didn't mean that they wouldn't have problems, because they did. They had a lot of problems along the way. And that's why it's important, not only do we discover God's plan, not only do we take and put together an action plan and take steps, but we have to commit to finishing strong. And if you're going to finish strong, you've got to learn to deal with a couple things. One, you've got to handle the heat of the critics. You know, immediately after, he says, let's start rebuilding. And the people said, let's start rebuilding. Nehemiah, very next verse, you have these three guys that, that come to him and they begin to mock him. They begin to ridicule the people. And they're basically, whenever, whenever you attempt to reconstruct in your life, when you decide to take a step and do something huge for God, to change things in, in your personal life, you will get mocked. You will get ridiculed. You know, someone said ridicule is the weapon of those who have no other. You know, people laughed at Nehemiah's plan. People laughed at their lack of resources. But I think he had the last laugh. I was reading a little bit of history, and I was thinking about some of the, the courageous, just adventurous uh, pioneers. Oftentimes, they faced laughter. They faced the heat uh, of jealous observers, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the first American steamboats, it took it 
32 hours to travel from New York City to Albany, New York. People laughed. You know, the, the horses and buggies passed up the early motor cars as if they were just standing still. And oftentimes they were. They were broke down, and people laughed. You know, the first electric light bulb was so dim, I love this, people had to light a gas lamp to see it. And people laughed. First airplane flight, 59 seconds, and people laughed. There was a guy by the name of Noah that built a ark out in the middle of the desert, and people laughed. There was a little boy by the name of David that decided he could take on a giant named Goliath, and people laughed. You know, Jesus carried a cross up a hill outside the city. People laughed. And friends, what I want to say is if God's in it, it can't be stopped. It doesn't matter what it is. They can laugh all they want, but Nehemiah understood something, and he handled the critics The wall started coming up. People were saying, it'll never stand. It got a little bit higher. Critics outside now, they're saying, it's not going to happen. Actually, their words, at one point they said, the stone wall they're building, any fox goes up on it, it'll break down. Got up a little bit higher, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And when it was all rebuilt, they were outside and they didn't get a share in the, in the victory that was happening inside the gates of Jerusalem. Victory inside. And they missed it. Friends, if you're going to finish strong in your life, you've got to face the critics. And you also have to refuse to quit. Nehemiah the, and the workers, they, they went through the ridicule and the mockery from, from both inside and outside the camp. I mean... Scripture says that so the wall was finished on the 25th of the month of Elu, 52 days. And when all the enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 52 days. They did something that should have taken them years. Critics stood in awe because they realized, you know what? This didn't just happen. God's in it. I know for a fact in this room today, some of you are in the rebuilding process in your life. And I know you got critics. You get ridiculed. You get mocked. The fact is, people say things like, once a gossip, always a gossip. You know, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Once an adulterer, always an adulterer. You know, once, once a bad marriage, it'll always be a bad marriage. Nothing you can do about it. It won't stick. You can't do it. Hang it up. Throw in the towel. Give it up. And what, what is most troubling is sometimes it comes from within our own homes. True? Critics, finish strong. Finish strong. God is in it. You know, you want a better marriage? Work at it and finish strong. God will help you in that. 
You know, years ago, there was a great violinist that was touring the U.S. In the morning of his concert, the local newspaper had a full page on him. But they never talked about him. They talked about the violin. They talked about how rare it was, the craftsmanship of it, the age, that it was Stradivarius. They talked about the value, but not much about the violinist. They said that night when, when he played, he finished his first piece and, and the crowd just went crazy. They were yelling and screaming. And then they said he sat down his bow and he took the violin and he smashed it into pieces in front of the crowd, and the crowd just kind of gasped. No. Oh. And then they said he stepped up to the mic and basically said, you know what, I've read all the stories. How great my violin is. He says, I found this cheap, crude violin in a pawn shop. I bought it for five bucks, cleaned it up, put new strings on it, tuned it, and that was the violin that I just busted. And then he said, it's not the violin that's great. It's who's playing it. See, you can't rebuild your life on your own. This church cannot rebuild people's lives. It's not about us. We are merely the instruments. It's who's playing us. It's a God thing. It's what God does. It's what God majors in. You know, God is inviting you, inviting me to live louder in our lives. You know, how about it, church family? You know, maybe God's speaking to some of you right now. God's nudging you, trying to get you to discover that he truly has a plan for your life. You know, I believe finding part of that plan is it all begins with the relationship with Jesus Christ. Saying, you know what, God, I want to connect on a significant level. I'm taking those steps. Some of you right now as I'm talking, you're already a follower. You know God has a plan, but but God's trying to get you to go a different direction, a new direction in your life. You know, he's waiting for you to say yes. I think things would be different for a lot of people if they just learned to say yes to God more often. I mean, God can do amazing things through you, great things through you. But remember, it's not the instrument. It's who's playing the instrument. You know, I know that the evil one does not want you to rebuild your life. He does not want you to have victories in your life. He does not want you to be remade and to be new. And in fact, the more that I I have been in ministry and just watch people, I realize he actually loves to see your life in a shamble, in a mess. But God's got a better plan. And I also know that the more you commit yourself to wherever it is God's calling you, the harder it gets. Because the attacks come and the ridicule and the mocking and the undermining. But I would challenge you to remember the example that this great builder gave us. Nehemiah says, finish strong. Finish strong. God will give you success. God will see you through. One of my favorite 
scriptures as God's able to do immeasurably more than you've ever asked or you can ever, ever imagine. Church, families, individuals, live louder in your life. Let God use you. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. God, we praise you. God, we thank you for the opportunity to serve. God, I know you have a plan for us. And God, I also know that there are many here today that are trying to rebuild. Trying to rebuild a family or a relationship or trying to rebuild their careers or spiritually things are just busted and they're trying to rebuild their relationship with you. God, I don't know. There, there's probably rubble all around us. But God, I pray you'd open our eyes that we would see that you truly have a plan for us. And God, I know there are some that they've known that for a long time. They just, for some reason, can't take the step. Don't have the energy. They're afraid. God, I pray you would sure them up, that you would pull brother or sister alongside them to encourage them so that they'd take a step in their life. And God, I know there's some been running hard for a long time. And I pray that you would give them the strength to not quit, to just see it through, to keep pushing, keep struggling, and know that you're in the midst of it. God, we... Praise you. Because you promised that life can be loud. More than we ever thought could happen. More than we ever thought something could be. God, we look forward to experiencing whatever that is. We give you the praise. We give you the glory this day and every day. Amen.